Good morning and welcome to 1C. Would you please rise for our first song?
seated. Good morning and welcome as we gather for worship. Whether you're here at 1C or online, we are thankful that you are, are taking this journey with us in the season of Advent. I know you're thinking, well, it's Christmas too, and it is, but Advent is a time where we just anticipate and look towards God doing something incredible for people like you and me the birth of the Christ child, and all that came as a result of it. I want to welcome everyone, especially our guests. We're glad you're with us in worship. And if you would, uh, let yourself be known. You can text 1C guest to 94000, uh, again, whether you're here or online, and that'll get the communication going. So if you have questions, you can ask those questions. Also, as we move forward in worship, we're going to have a time for prayer and if you have any prayer requests that you would like included, text those prayer requests to 402-242-5051, and then those prayers will be included in our time of worship. Also, on the way in, hopefully you had an opportunity to receive the elements for communion. Here at 1C, we believe that Holy Communion is the body and uh, it's the bread and wine, but also the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So, if that's what you believe, uh, we'd love to invite you and encourage you. 
And if you did not receive the elements, during the next song, you can make your way into the family gathering area, go by the kitchen windows, and you will find the elements for our time together. Uh, a couple other quick announcements, just to let you know. You see up here the giving garland. Uh, it's somewhat a, a tradition here where we as a church reach out to kids in our area. And uh, we have found, um, again, on the tags you'll see just different things that kids will want for Christmas if they, if they can. So if you would, after the service, you can make your way up here and you can look through the giving garland and the tags that are up here. And you take the tag with you, purchase the gift, bring the gift back uh, unwrapped by the 21st, which is next Monday, and keep the tag with it. And then we will wrap that and then get those to the schools so that these kids can be blessed. So just again, don't forget, um, by the December 21st, if you could bring those back unwrapped here to the church and we'll get those to those kids. Also, just to let you know, um, Judy Griffiths, okay, she was on staff here before. She's having open heart surgery, so I want to just ask for prayer for her. Also, if, um, you know, they have some additional expenses that are coming as a result of this, if you're so moved and would like to know how you can help them out, um, give the church office a call and we will get that information to you. Also, uh, a couple handouts that were by the table by the door. Uh, one of them has some of the events taking place in the life of the congregation. In fact, you'll see some posters around here with a QR code. If you know what that means or what that does, is you could take your phone, your camera, and go right up to the QR code. It's like a little square. And it'll invite you to press something, and it'll give you information. And it will help you get all the information. So if you'd like to, to do that, that's on one of them. And then the other one is just a highlight of our Christmas Eve services coming up in a little bit more than a week. Uh, let's see, on the 23rd, which is a Wednesday night, we have a service at 6.30. And then on the 24th, we will have service at 3, 5, and 7. All of these services will be live streamed, and all of them will be in person as well. So want to invite you to be thinking about coming uh, to uh, these celebrations, whether it's online or in person. And if you want to take a couple of these and hand them out to family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, we would love for people to come and hear the celebration of the birth of Christ here at 1C. Again, thank you, and God bless you as we continue to worship.
is not just a cliche. It's not just something we say or sing uh, around Christmas time. Peace on earth is a reality that came as a result of God and Jesus. You know, God up in heaven saw our sin. He saw our brokenness. He saw how we would be separated from him forever. And so he did and he gave his all. He sent his son to be born in Bethlehem as a babe. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there is there's peace. There is peace with God, and we can also have peace with each other. So let's go to him now in prayer, giving him thanks for all that he did 
in our forgiveness and restoring our relationship. Oh, good, gracious, loving Father in heaven, as we think about this season of Advent and Christmas, as we think about all the stuff that um, we do to get ready for Christmas, it really pales in comparison to what you did for us. You decided to give your best, your, your only son, uh, the one whom you love dearly. And you decided to do that so that we can have peace with you on earth and in heaven forever. So, Lord, may your spirit work within us. As we receive this forgiveness, as we live out that forgiveness in this world we live, uh, may we do so by the power of your spirit. And may we share this peace that we have received to family, to friends, to neighbors, to co-workers and classmates, to people we come into contact with, even with our enemies. May we share the peace that comes from you. Thank you for your love in Jesus, and we pray all of this in his holy name. Amen.
think about that song and I think about you know what Mary must have felt and what she was going through as she was holding Jesus for that very first time and that peace and joy and love that was just overflowing in her heart and I'm thinking in in a very similar way maybe not exactly but as we receive this gift of holy communion we are actually holding on to Jesus we are receiving from him peace, love, and joy. I want you to be thinking about that as I share with you first the words of institution where Jesus was speaking about this gift, and then after that, we're going to receive this, the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the peace of Jesus for people like you and me in our life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper. And after he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament of my blood which is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
and the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. If you would now take the elements, take the bread, take and eat. This is the body of Christ given for you. And if you would now open also the wine, the juice, and take and drink. This is the blood of Jesus shed for you. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you steadfast in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in peace. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts as we lift up our prayers to you from our 1C family. Prayers for my friend whose father is in the hospital, praying that he gets his breathing under control and he heals. Also praying for family as they await updates from the doctor as they cannot visit. For my father-in-law as he's battling cancer and for my brother-in-law as his kidneys are failing and he's supposed to be starting dialysis. For the family and friends of Bob Callwhite, who passed away yesterday morning, and prayers for the family of Norman Bull, who passed away last week. For our family, as we continue to heal from the loss of our wife, our mother, our grandmother, Donna. For my best friend, Josh, he has hand surgery Monday. Pray for my friend's mom. She is fighting COVID. We lift up prayers for pastor's family. Prayers for my family because the 28th of this year will be 11 years since my cousin passed away. For the sheriff, a sheriff deputy, he is taking his test. Hopefully he passes so he can go to the academy. His name is Austin Cooper. For all the police and sheriff that are working this holiday, Please guide President-elect Biden and President Trump as we begin our transition as a nation. Please calm our nation and help us to heal and come together as one. Please give protection and strength and encouragement to all of the medical personnel caring for COVID patients and place a hedge of protection around me, my family, and my friends. Gracious God, as we bring you our trials, our sorrows, our prayers for healing, we reflect on how you brought your son to earth to walk with us, to die for us, and to be raised so that we may have the promise of eternal life in your kingdom. We thank you for your continued blessings through your son Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Break time. Oh man, why, why do I keep feeling so sad? I'm an elf at the North Pole a week before Christmas and all I can think of is sadness. It's all I can do to get myself out of bed. I mean, everybody around me is having fun and laughing. And heck, look at me, I get to wear an elf costume to work. Who gets to wear something like this to work? I guess it has to do with the fact that it was you know, three years ago, almost to the day that my mom passed away and just only a couple days later my niece passed away. I just keep wrapped up in the sadness. Seems like the only thing I can do is drink my milk and eat my animal crackers. That seems to be the only thing that gets me by. I don't know what to do. I guess to eat more animal crackers and drink more milk and All right, break's over, I guess. Back to work. Poor, poor Elmer. I don't know what he is troubled by, but you see how he's dealing with it? Milk and animal crackers. I don't know about you. When I'm dealing with something, Reese's peanut butter cups. That is uh, my trouble. Well, we've been taking a journey through uh, this season of Advent and Christmas. We've been look, looking at the theme um, the quote blank that stole Christmas. And this past week, uh, the Grinch that stole Christmas was on TV, right? And I got to see it. And then I looked up um, what really was his issue. Remember last week we talked about when he was up in the mountain and he looked down and he was listening and he heard Whoville and they were all kind of happy and joyous and he was like, what, what? What the, what's going on here? And then he wanted to steal Christmas from them. Well, here's the issue, and this is actually a quote. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. That's the issue, isn't it? At least for the Grinch, 
but also I think for you and me. As we've been looking at the story, we've been looking at different things that can dr uh, dramatically affect people like you and me. Materialism, conflict, and you know, now we're going to be taking a look at this theme of, of grief. The reason these things become an issue is because all of us, well, are just like the Grinch in a sense. We have a heart issue. Ever since sin came into the world, our hearts aren't quite right. And we're drawn to different things and, and we miss the, the meaning and the purpose of what God wants to teach us, not just at Christmas, but all the time. So, as uh, we look up here, the theme, uh, the theme for today is the, the grief that stole Christmas. And as we now look into the Word of God, as I'm going to share with you from John chapter 11, I'd like to, to pray first. Oh, Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning, this day, this very moment. And we, we do get it. We understand that we miss the mark. Um, we have heart issues uh, spiritually, and, and so often we get caught up in materialism and in conflict and in grief, and we don't quite know how to navigate. So, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Bible, the Scriptures. Thank you for the truth that we find in it. So now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts to the truth of your word for us and also the desires you have for your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look at grief, I was thinking, what portion of scripture speaks to grief the best? And there's a lot in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But I'm gonna take us to John chapter 11. Now, a little back, background to the story. Remember, there are four Gospels that have been written that we have to study and to learn from. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are three of them that are called the synoptic Gospels. And the word synoptic means similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. If you, if you look at a summary of what's in those books, you will find parables and teaching and healing that you'll find in both Matthew and Luke, or Mark and Matthew. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in those three Gospels. But if you noticed, one of the four is a little bit different, and it's not known as a similar Gospel, and that's the Gospel of John. Now, why? Now, remember, as God inspired the writers of the Gospels, he used their gifts and abilities and talents and passion and experiences. And when we look at John, there is something about his relationship with Christ that was a little bit unique than the other writers. We find that John was, well, we'll just say at almost every event, at every moment, he was, he was always nearby listening and learning and growing and struggling. In fact, when you look in the Gospel of John, there's five different times that John himself identifies that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Why would he say that? Because the truth is, Jesus loved all his disciples. Jesus loves you and me. But I do believe that there was something unique about John that gave him a perspective 
that gives us something different to look at. As John was with Jesus in those moments when Jesus demonstrated his power as the Son of God, John was there, but he was also there when Jesus was demonstrating being the Son of Man, the human aspect of Jesus. Those moments in which he wrestled and struggled with life, or in today's scripture, when he dealt with this thing called grief. And while he was powerful enough to raise Lazarus from the dead, he was human enough, as we're told, to weep. So, let's make our way in and take a look at the scriptures. Uh, I want to take us to John chapter 11, uh, some select verses as we take our journey in this. So here we have uh, John writing. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, I want to start out by telling you two very important truths. Two of them I want you to hold on to because they really shape what God wants to teach us in this story. The first thing is that all people have Lazarus moments. Now, you're thinking, well, what does that mean? All of us, ever since Adam and Eve and ever since the fall into sin, all of us experience illness, whether it's ours or somebody else's. Our bodies are not perfect. And if you're not sure about that, listen to the prayer requests. Quite often we get to hear story after story after story of where bodies aren't perfect and we're praying for people. But the s second part you know, of that is that there is something called death. Our bodies aren't perfect, death occurs. And then the third part, as a result of the death and illness, many people, all people, you and me deal with grief. And that grief comes as a result of any kind of loss. In fact, that's my definition of what grief is. Grief is some emotion, some moment for us as we deal with illness or with death, as we deal with any kind of loss. So, the second truth I want us to understand, yes, all people, you know, have Lazarus moments, but how we view God's love will dramatically affect lots of things. It will dramatically affect our thinking, dramatically affect our living, dramatically affect our loving, and in particular for the theme for today, how we view God's love will dramatically affect our grieving. I remember back in summertime, um, I shared a passage from Romans where Paul was talking about, uh, the quote says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And if you remember, I, I kind of took my glasses off and I said, you know, this is what I think Paul is saying. As we live life, we should view all of life and what we're dealing with in view of God's mercy. In his mercy, his grace, his love, in his power, in, in his presence, in who he is and how he loves. So I'd like for us to have that um, 
kind of the dichotomy of both of these. Number one, yes, we have Lazarus moments, but also how we view God's love is going to affect us dramatically. And so let's take a journey and we're going to take a look at how Mary and Martha in particular view God's love. So we have the three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now what do we know about them? We don't know a lot. We know that they're connected, right? They're a brother and two sisters. Uh, We don't know anything about their parents. Nothing is in the scripture about them. We don't know what they do for a job. We don't Well, we do know that they must have some kind of financial means because they have a home and they also have food. But other than that, we really don't know a lot. I am drawing from it that Martha might be the oldest sibling because she was a take-charge person. Think about the stories that we know about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There was one story in Luke chapter 10 where we have Jesus at their home again and they're going to have dinner together. Martha is running around making sure everything is done, everything is taken care of and she gets ticked off that her sister Mary is just at the feet of Jesus. Well, partly it, it was the tradition, it was the custom, it would be the place for Mary to be working and making sure that the dinner is going to be ready. Because women would do that and men would be doing the teaching and learning. That was just the custom. So Mary was flying in the face of that and sitting at the feet of Jesus. So that's Luke 10. But now we get to John chapter 11 and we find some things happening between Mary and Martha and Jesus. And we start with verse 3. Now remember, their brother is ill, and and they're going to send a message. It's not a very long message. It's a very short message. In fact, there we have up on the screen, Lord, the one you love is sick. There's no request for Jesus to come. And yet you almost, well, we're going to find out in a moment, they're not happy that Jesus didn't drop everything and come. But when we look at this phrase, at first glance, it looks like a great observation, Um, Lord, the one you love is sick, but there is something missing in what they're sending as a message. And you don't get it at first blush, but you got to look a little deeper. So if you look at the literal translation of what they said, Lord, Lord, the one you brotherly love, in the original language, it uses the word uh, felice, or uh, from the root word phileo. And if you think of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, what they're saying in their message to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know the one that you have this a close friendship with? You know this person that you have a reciprocal relationship with? Because that's what phileo is all about. You love me, I love you. Um, this person's sick. A little different. Now John responds in verse 5, and he, he says something a little bit different about the kind of love that Jesus has. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now you look at that and say, it sounds like the same, it looks the same, 
But when you get into the original language again, you find that John is using the word agape. He is actually saying, now Jesus godly loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now this kind of godly love, the agape love, has no beginning, no end. In fact, we can't even fully describe it on this earth. We can get a glimpse of it as best as we can when we look at the cross of Christ and we see the, expa- you know, the expanse of his love, what he was willing to do for people like you and me. So this is different than what Martha and Mary were saying. And I think, in many ways, Martha and Mary can be like you and me. Sometimes we have a very little view of the kind of love that Jesus has. And remember what I said before? How we view God's love will dramatically affect how we live, what we think, how we love, how we grieve. And I think their skewed view, a little bit at this point, is affecting what they're thinking about Lazarus and Jesus and the timing of things. I think they're really struggling. So now we go to John chapter 11, verse 17, and we go like this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Little historical context, Jewish thinking says this. After day three, the body and the soul separate. So if Jesus would have come right away, there would be a whole host of people that would say, hmm, I don't know if Lazarus was really dead. After day three, somebody comes and inspects the body and to make sure that he's dead. So that would have been done. It's like the medical examiner coming and saying, yep, time has passed and he is dead. Okay? Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Comment about that. Mary was doing what was customary when you are grieving the loss of a loved one. You stay at home, you stay in quiet, you grieve and mourn the loss of a loved one. So she was doing what was the tradition. Martha, on the other hand, she goes out to the edge of town of Bethany and she meets Jesus and says this. And if I, I'm going to just do what I think Mary was doing. Mary, Mary, uh, Martha probably had her hand on her hip and Martha was probably going like this. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Martha, the take charge person, is coming up to Jesus with lots of guts and says, hey, if you would have been here, things would have been different. Now, how did Jesus respond to that? And I'm going to say it very specifically, with truth. He needed to say something to her right, kind of, like right in the eyes and say, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha's response was, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then there's more dialogue. Jesus is just speaking truth to Martha, trying to reason with her, try to have her recalibrate and remember the kind of love that Jesus has. Remember that agape love, that perfect love. 
All right? So that's Martha. Now we go to Mary. Mary, after she does some of her grieving, she goes out to the place where Jesus is, and we have this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Does that look a little different? I mean, at least the way that the Martha picture was, was this. But we have Mary coming to Jesus, falling on her, uh, off her feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There was something going on in Mary. It's, it, it seems consistent, right? She's the one that was at his feet learning and wanting to understand who God is and the, the kind of love that God has. Um, so she's falling at his feet again and really wanting to understand what, what's going on. Now notice how Jesus responds to Mary. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse uh, 35. Shortest Bible verse in the scriptures. Jesus wept. He doesn't say anything more. I think doesn't have to say anything more. He sees that Mary's heart in the midst of her grief is getting a picture of the magnitude of how much God loves and how much Jesus loves. And it's not by what he says, but what he does. The tears. The tears are speaking volumes to Mary. Mary, I understand your grief. I understand the plight. I understand this moment. I am stepping into your world. And I understand more than you will ever understand. What a powerful moment. In fact, I was looking into, into the Old Testament as, as we have one prophecy after another about this Messiah who's going to come, you know, we have Jeremiah kind of leaning in with a very important truth. And he says, I weep for you. I understand your grief. I understand your loss and your emotion about what's going on in your personal life. And I think as we look at Jesus, as we look at how he dealt with this, this loss of Lazarus, there's a couple truths that hopefully we can grab hold of. You know, number one is grief is painful. Why is it painful? Because grief and loss is contrary to God's original design. When he made Adam and Eve... He wanted that peace on earth. When he created Adam and Eve and put them together in the garden, there was to be this peace amongst each other and peace with God. But when sin came into the world, things weren't the way he wanted them to be. And we see the pain, right? In fact, we, we hear the consequence of the sin was, you know, Adam, Adam, when you work, going to be painful. There's going to be thorns and thistles and sweat. 
Or Eve, you know, when you give birth, there's going to be pain. So when sin came in, this whole concept of grief and sorrow and pain is a result of that loss. Secondly, oh, I'm sorry, um, a quote from C.S. Lewis. If you want ever a good book to read, um, a grief observed. He says, the death of a beloved is an amputation. And I would have never understood what that quote meant until I saw my dad grieve my mom's death. And over the years as a pastor, I've seen some of you hurt as if something was just torn right off of you. It's real. Second thing, grief is disorienting. And I'm going to explain it to you like I, I often try to explain it. If you would picture this, picture you are going to build your dream house, all right? It's the house you've always wanted. It's got everything in there, and, and you're just excited, and you're going to build it, and you start the process of building it. Everything's going great and wonderful until that moment when you take the hammer, and you take a nail, and you are now pounding, and you hit your thumb. I don't think you're thinking about how wonderful this house is. As your thumb is throbbing, it kind of takes your attention off of this and right onto that. So, I mean, this is the realistic part of grief. When we experience the loss, when we experience something contrary to what God had planned, there is a moment when we're going to be disoriented, and I think that's what's going on with Martha. Maybe even a little bit with Mary. There's a little bit of disorientation going on. And the same answer for grief today is the same answer in what we see in the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus comes to them. They're hurt. They're debilitated of whatever words you want to use. He comes to them and he brings the peace that only he can bring. In fact, that's the third part, and I think the most important part, is grief needs Jesus. And I'll, I'll tell you, I see this in so many different ways. Um, I'll tell you the story of Phyllis Shanick. This goes back probably 25 years ago, maybe 28 years ago now. Um, Phyllis had uh, uh, incurable cancer. It was ravaging her body. She was in the hospital in hospice. And her son calls me up in the middle of the night and says, Pastor, she's not going to make it. Would you go see her? And so I'm, I'm coming down the hallway of West Dallas Memorial Hospital. And I'm coming to her door. And I feel a sense of peace. I can't explain it. I walk into the room. And Phyllis hasn't really said much of anything for the last couple of days. And these are going to be her last words. I walk in, I said, Phyllis, the Lord loves you and he is with you. And she said, with as much clarity as anything I've ever heard in my life, she says, I know. 
honestly, and those words were bathed and wrapped with a sense of peace. Even though death is knocking at the door, she knows what's going to happen as a result of having faith in Jesus. But conversely, I've walked into a hospital room where the person did not have faith in Jesus, and there was a sense of terror and fear, uncertainty and unknown. There's a big difference. Our grief, our sorrow, the experience of loss in life needs Jesus, and he comes, and he comes faithfully. In fact, if we go back to the story in John chapter 11, we find Jesus now describing to Martha a little bit more in detail what happens when you have faith in Jesus. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So if you have faith in Jesus, if we put our faith in him, we skip death, eternal death. We have a physical death, and I'll say at times I'm watching even the most faithful people have anxiety over the physical death. But then he goes further, and he's, it's kind of like looking right at Martha and saying, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha, do you believe this? And perhaps what he said in verse 4 kind of is making more sense now. This sickness regarding Lazarus and any kind of sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And that's really one of my answers, and it doesn't really satisfy, but when people will say this, why does so-and-so get healed and so-and-so doesn't. I mean, I've had moments like this where I've been with family members who have mourned the loss of a, a son who died in a, a bad car accident, and yet my son was spared. And, and it's a true story. My son was in a vehicle turned over I don't know how many times the sheriff said I don't know how he made it through we do but why my son and not somebody else's and, and maybe you've wrestled with that too the answer is this wherever God can give you know, the ultimate glory so when you have faith in Jesus and you get to go to heaven that's really great And Jesus is trying to teach this to Martha. The Son of God wants to be glorified and bless. In fact, when we go to Revelation 21, it's another beautiful picture. It's the last book of the Bible. It's written by John. He gets this image, this picture, this concept of what heaven's going to be like. Isn't this the ultimate glory for the people who put their faith in Jesus? John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I mean, again, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's what Jesus was trying to teach Mary and Martha. That's what I think he wants for you and me. And I think he's going to ask the same question. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, I mean, do you believe this? Is it what keeps you going while we're here on this earth? I'll just tell you, um, it is for me. Not always easy to believe when we see some of the things we see. But God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can have faith. God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can put our faith in Jesus no matter what kind of loss comes knocking at our door. I'd like to give you an opportunity to boldly declare, just like Martha did and Mary did, to declare what you believe. And a great summary of the Christian faith is found in the Apostles' Creed. And we talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and his activity in your life and in my life. So I'd like to invite you now to stand and let's boldly declare this belief in this God. Together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me share with you now the blessing that comes from God to his people in whom he loves dearly. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.
great Sunday, everybody. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Silent and covered in snow